0: Hey everyone, you're listening to What's the Point, a podcast where we talk about all things in the life and ministry of Waypoint Church. Today I'm joined by my friends and fellow partners in the gospel, Lawrence, Danny, and Erica. And you know what? Hey guys, before we jump in,
1: I want to ask you this question. What is your go-to karaoke song and why? Now how did you know this is like my favorite question to be asked? This is right up my alley over here. I just I know you lauren. This so is probably I'm, gonna be the deepest podcast we have
2: with the most theologically deep questions. So I'm glad you started off with, with this question.
1: Well I mean guys, my go to karaoke song, if you've been around me for any amount of years, is you should know it's a total eclipse of the heart. Mm. Wow. <laughs> what, and why, why why is song? that your go to? It has range. <laughs> uh has passion. It's long. Right? It's, just it's long. I get to perform for a while. It's everything you want. It's everything song. that you want. And honestly, there's not many songs that I know that well, but I know that one completely. Mm. So funny.
3: Well, I can't sing, and I'm not being modest. It really is a sorrow in my heart I can't sing. So when I have to uh, do karaoke, I have to do something comedic for it to, you know, so I don't embarrass myself completely. And for some reason, um, I have all the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby stuck in my head from eighth grade. So, so, I, can, um, so I can do Vanilla Ice, or now uh, that people, Caroline, have started like doing nice <laughs> people have started doing Hamilton songs, if I can get a couple of friends to be the Skylar sisters with me, I can mm. pull off Peggy, because really all she has to say is, and Peggy. So uh-huh. I've got that covered.
1: You have no idea how much I want to hear Ice Ice Baby right now. Yeah, I mean she Stop. can
0: do it on the, the spot. Can All right, okay. yes.
2: Okay. <laughs> this is for you, Arts. For those of you who don't know, Total Eclipse of the Heart it starts
1: off
0: very dramatic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: You just gotta team up and you'll swing.
2: I, I hope this podcast doesn't get flagged and we and Bonnie Tyler herself shuts us down for that. No, for me, it's uh, Don't Be Cruel by Elvis. Uh, I like Elvis, and that's an easy song to sing. And I, I don't know how I ended up singing it the first or second time I ever did karaoke. Like, I don't remember. And I didn't do terrible. So that I'm like, at least I can. And it's
0: short. It's like a one-minute, one 50-second song. So the torture ends quickly. <laughs> yeah, so for, for me, if I'm in a group, uh, it's definitely Build Me Up, Buttercup. That's that's the easy go-to. That's not a bad one. So yeah, that's we. So uh, worked for three summers at a KOA campgrounds where we would do karaoke every Friday night, and uh, heard "Life Is a Highway" way too many times. I I hate that song now. Um, Lots of people can't really pull it off, but uh, yeah, like our whole group would get up and we'd sing "Build Me Up Buttercup." So that that was definitely a go-to. Uh, if I'm just by myself, I would probably say "Yesterday" by the Beatles because it's it's in a range that I can I feel like I can pull off. It's short, um, so you can be kind of in and out. And you know, I, I, by this point, I kind of know the, the lyrics by heart. So nice.
2: the Chick Fil A Tim Hawkins version has ruined that song for me. Mm-hmm. I can't. Yeah. I can't. You can't, you can't do sing it. that.
0: Mm-hmm. But so you can just follow up my performance with "Yesterday" with Tim Hawkins Chick Fil A song. Chick Fil A. I can eat there seven times
2: a day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so something This is a popular song in the Castleni House. Um, it is. Yeah, so, so guys, I thought we could start with something a little more light, because as, as Danny mentioned, this is, this is a little more uh, heavy topics. I mean, just, just deeper theological conversation. Um, and, and just as we, as we jump in, just as a little plug. In, in October, uh, we're going to be launching a new series of, of church forums. Uh, this is going to be, we're going to have like one every several months. Church forums designed to engage our congregation in two ways. One, we want to stand for biblical truth in a broken world. And so we're going to be uh, engaging topics where the, the historic position of the church, there's disagreement with what, what the world is teaching today. Uh, and then two, we want to walk together in tension in the face of interpretive differences. And, and this is something that uh, when Pastor Lawrence preached on uh, on tension in the church as, as part of the life in the church, that... W- interpretive differences is one of the things that uh, is, is very much a reality in the church That we have there are things that we land on that we disagree about and and so some of the some of the things that we're actually going to be talking about today relate to that relate to uh, more of you know how do we how do we deal with differences in the church how do we how do we know which hills we should we should stand on that we should fight for and which ones we should be a little more open-handed about and and so we, we want to kind of press in today in, in this conversation and, and just think about that and so uh, as, as we jump in, I think we need some kind of framework to help us here. And and as we think about matters of faith, what would you consider to be the essential beliefs of of the Christian faith? And and what's maybe secondary or tertiary?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll start. I might be the resident theologian. Uh, All of us are, but I've thought about this a lot, and I mean, there's the four ancient creeds, uh, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasius Creed, and the I'm forgetting the other one, uh, the Chanceldon Creed. Uh, those tend to be the summary of the early church, as they dealt with particularly the person of Christ, but also Trinity and and all these other doctrines that we hold fast to now. Those were fleshed out by the by the early church, and um, so I, I think those are core. And then I think on top. So,
0: so, so for you know the, the average listener who maybe doesn't know Nicene or the Apostles those creeds, like what what are some of the things that are being discussed there?
2: So the the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed have the same formula. It talks about the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in each one, it, it says things like you know I believe in God the Father, the Creator, the Maker of heaven and earth. So it's saying that God the Father is the Creator, His only Son Jesus Christ our Lord, conceived by the Virgin Mary, you know born of the Holy Spirit conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, just all the Christology, which is a seminary term just for stuff about Christ, all that that we just take for granted now. It's just stuff we're just taught. The, the early church fleshed it out in community, prayed about it, and then the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit is our guide. It, Jesus says, it's good for me to leave so the Spirit will come. Well, what does that look like? And the Spirit is the church, and the Spirit is our guide. The Spirit is dwells among individual believers and helps us be the church so these historic uh, creeds help us process the the base of our theology uh c.s lewis said you know the christian name for god is trinity so that's that's kind of the starting point so all of those we have to agree on that's what unifies us as christians now there are other things that aren't in those particular documents and those creeds that are also i would say essential to the christian faith But I would say the the essence of the Christian faith—Father, Son, Spirit—and how we live that out in our daily lives are definitely contained in the four creeds.
3: I'd say, uh, yeah, one thing that's helpful about the creeds—and you could, I mean, you can just Google them even and look them up. um, Especially, I'd say the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. um, But is that they're like a skeleton? Like I believe God created the world. That's what we can agree on. Mm -hmm. How He created the world. That's a secondary issue, like how many days or, you know, um, yeah, differences about that. Um, That the Holy Spirit is now and dwells believers, we can all agree on. What that looks like, how those gifts are represented, we can disagree on. So there's like a framework. Another framework that's been helpful is um, the Bible Project's tagline. It says the uh, Bible's a unified story that leads to Jesus. Um, and even before that, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd joins the idea, every, every story whispers his name or something. But like seeing the Bible as a whole story is kind of helpful because then you don't get mm. quite as bogged down, like you can look at other aspects of that story, but we agree on what this, the whole theme is, the overarching theme
1: yeah it's interesting i'm mean, trying to develop a framework of um kind of how to operate in ways of thinking of what's true and what's important the uh, first thing that comes to mind is the way we've kind of did systematic theology in the past mm-hmm. is where they started looking at first who is god yeah i was going to bring this up from yeah that's good oh, okay good yeah, yeah. yeah go 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 who is god and then who is man and how does god relate to man that's kind of been historically systematic theology right who is god who is man how does god relate to man what sin and salvation and all that kind of stuff. is all about how God relates to man. And then how God moves in the world now. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's kind of systematic theology, is kind of our methodology that we use of kind of figuring out the way of looking at life. So that's one framework. For me, I love Erica, what she said about the story of the Bible, how it all points to Jesus, how this is, his name is behind every little thing in the Bible, how there's a meta-narrative. To me, I love that understanding, foundation of the essential belief of the Christian faith is Jesus. He is the essential belief of the Christian faith, who he is, what he, what he did and what he's doing and what he's going to do is essential.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, and even wondering, so there's, there's these different, uh, streams of of entering into conversations and thinking about just doing the work of theology. And, and, and I'll say too, that I, I think one of the things that is important about theology is just recognizing that every single one of us is a theologian. We we all have thoughts about who God is and what He's like, and so that that by proxy that makes us theologians. We we all so uh, to even say like uh, like sh- surely there are people who are more focused on and, and more you know they're, they're like giving their lives to studying and doing research and writing and, and going deeper. But I think that theology is is something that is is a work for everyone that we all we all should be thinking about and having conversations and trying to process like. Um, even, even what the Bible Project guys are doing now is they're, uh, they're in a series on their podcast where they're talking about having, like, what's our paradigm, and what's our paradigm for how we approach the Bible, because everybody has a paradigm that they're working from. And so as you, as you have these different streams of systematic theology or biblical theology or uh, even historical theology where you have, like, th- these are all working together. Like, systematic theology has, has all these different categories of ideas, that, and that, that creates a framework for you for how you think about theology and even how you approach the Bible. Biblical theology is thinking more of, like, how this, the Bible is telling this unified story. You have the church working historically and how they're relating with all these different questions uh, centuries before us. And so that, I find that really encouraging to say, like, okay, they're, they're talking about these things, too. They have some of the same questions that we're still asking. Uh, Danny, it looks like you have something you want to share.
2: No, I, I was going to say biblical theology, systematic theology, historical theology, and then you said it. Like, and even going back to Lawrence's thing, like if you look at some systematic theology books, there's a debate. Do we start with the Bible or do we start with God? Because we know about God from the Bible, but God came first. So like some systematic theology books start with the Bible, some start with God. And just to, just to define the term, systematic theology is looking at specific uh, terms in the Bible like God, and then finding all the passages, and then looking at church history, and how we fleshed out who is God looking at the creeds, or Holy Spirit, or the church. And systematic theology is trying to like look at a particular topic, and then what does the Bible say about it, and how has the church dealt with, and like lived out our theology of this issue. Biblical theology is like, what's a theme of the Bible? Like what's a, like what's an, What's an arc in the Bible? So like in Romans, biblical theology might be like, what are, what are the themes that Paul is generally, continually goes back to that also line up with his other letters, that also line up with the Old Testament? So they're similar, but there's some differences. And then historical theology is just, how has the church fleshed this out? They're all intertwined. They're all needed. And like Eric said, we're all theologians in some way. So we, it's good for us to be able to, to process this uh together even though some people are called to be teachers so they in in the body some people are called to spend more time on this but we're all called to 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 at least be processing it
0: yeah so so just real quick so just so we're so we're clear on this so uh what you what we're what we're saying is what you believe about god and what you believe about jesus all, all those things essential okay uh what about like complementarianism Sec- oh,
2: secondary. he went straight for the jugular.
0: Secondary, right? Right, not essential. Sec- not secondary, not essential. Uh, what about uh, how how the church is organized on, on Sunday morning? Not, not essential. essential. The uh, carpet
2: color is. I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, or um, drums like,
0: or no drums. Wh- <laughs> how about how about like being baptized into the church?
3: The mode
1: is not essential. Yes. Oh, no, so essential yeah, yeah. Do you mean the mode or doing that? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'm talking
0: about like the actual practice of being baptized. Like you ba- you, you, getting baptized, you'd say, is like essential. Yeah, but you the, should like, be baptized. The way yes. that, like the mode, okay. And mode is just a fancy fancy, theological way of saying here's here's the actual way we conduct it, right? Um, okay, great. So just, and, and there's any number of categories that we can go down down the line on of like, I love that you went straight to it
2: i love that it Eric. i love i love but, the pause there but god's sovereignty is a core doctrine god is sovereign over the universe right how god's sovereignty flushes itself out and how we it it manifests itself in the world i would say we don't always know so like there's the the biblical paradox exists so we we God is sovereign god is in control god is love god is just those are all Biblical doctrines that we'll die on, but how sometimes it fleshes itself out is is what it means to be the church. And right. that's kind of the essence of this podcast, is is getting to the root of that. Yeah,
0: and so th- this I think laying that foundation, it took us a little bit of time, but I think it's important to lay that foundation as we're thinking about, as we're navigating this conversation. And so uh, how, how do we know the difference between areas in which we may agree to disagree— or areas where we are making compromises that may actually obscure the gospel? How, how, do we, how do we differentiate?
3: Well, one thing I was thinking about when I was thinking of this question is how it's not a new issue. Like maybe the particular topics might change. Like we're not like going, should we you know, eat um, meat-sacrificed idols or not? Or you know, can we you know, eat food that still has the blood in it? but we have different the issues the earliest
2: church was dealing with yeah that. and that
3: was really really important and through paul's letters we realized okay you can disagree on that and it's fine but other things he brought up no you can't disagree on so i was thinking a few biblical examples um in mark chapter 9 the disciples come to jesus and they're really upset because other people are driving out demons in jesus name and he's like they're not us so like go rebuke them
1: mm-hmm. and
3: jesus says no like that's fine like they're doing it in my name, and he even adds, "If anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to me, they'll be rewarded for it." So, but then later Jesus says, "Not everyone who calls on me knows me." And the people who didn't do the things I asked, who didn't serve others, who didn't visit people in prison, so like that, there's an element of fruit. I would say we can learn from that, you know. Um, later Paul says, "Anybody who like adds things on." like that's not okay if you add things to like the gospel and say it's the gospel like um, uh, the women are starting to study Jude now and they say when you take things and use them as a license the gospel is a license for sin and in this case a lot of it was sexual sin that's not okay so I mean I know that's not a really clear answer but those are just some like examples I thought of of some ways that measurements you might use
2: yeah and I think Going back to Pastor Lawrence's sermon, which was basically part of a dialogue that we've been having as staff and pastors and elders over the past two or three years, just the, the idea of biblical paradox. The Bible teaches things that are seem to be in contradiction, but they're not. So when we come to the theology of, of God, we have to come to the theology of God is love, God is just. You know, God, when we come to the theology of, of the church, the church is Christ's bride, but it's not fully sanctified. You know, each, there are these biblical paradoxes, and I think sometimes when we add extra stuff to these paradoxes, like we, we pick a side, then we're adding an extra burden onto something that the Bible doesn't. We're not living in the paradox. Then the interpretive differences. That sometimes the reason why the church disagrees on baptism You know charles spurgeon and john calvin disagree on baptism that's a big deal because there are interpretive differences they read the same bible they they have the same you know they know greek they know hebrew they and their congregations they came to a different conclusion and then there's this final category of personality cultural experiential differences and all of these things come together and cause us to feel like the like, oh, the church is divided, but a lot of this, like Erica said, the New Testament deals with from the beginning, so that we have a framework to do this, and I, for me, just starting off with the fact that the New Testament was written, knowing that there's going to be disagreements, there are things that we shouldn't disagree on, but there are going to be interpretive differences, because they were interpreting the Old Testament, and how to live, how to live in that Christian community, and the words of Jesus, so for me, that there's a comfort in that, because I know that from the beginning, from the early church, these interpretive differences were allowed, and the, the Bible gives us principles for how to be his body, and then we can live that out in our local community, in our local context. So sometimes I think we're actually adding extra burden when we make the interpretive differences a first-rate issue, and then we divide the church on it. That's my personal opinion, but I, that's, that's kind of where God's bringing me right now. As, as, I'm, as I'm trying to live out my faith as a brother in Christ, with a bunch of other people.
1: I think trying to figure out when and how to know the difference between areas of where we have to agree or disagree or, you know, agree or disagree, I think it comes down to what circumstance are we talking about? You know, are we talking about who can I be friends with? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about who am I uh, in church with? Who am I partnering with? Who am I married to? Who am I living with? Do you see what I'm saying? Who am I on the mission field with? These are areas that kind of, I think, affect it you know, based on what depth of relationship, there's, there has to be more level of agreeing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so trying to determine all those elements um, it kind of goes into like, um, kind of levels of, kind of kind of levels of doctrinal ranking, if you will, mm-hmm. you know? There's some things that you're like, I, if, if I'm gonna do this with you on the bare minimum, we have to agree with these things. But if I wanna go a little deeper with you, then maybe the next level comes into play. And if I want our relationship to be healthier and more successful and are purposeful in what we're doing, then another level of agreement has to come into play. So I think determining the level of agree to disagree that we need to have just really depends on the level of relationships and where we're, where we're, we're practicing out these relationships.
3: And I think one thing that's important to is we're going to get some things wrong. And we're mm-hmm. going to, like, I mean, some things that I believe today that are secondary, I didn't believe 10 years ago. And hopefully, you know, I have, like, you know, 30, 40, 50 more years to continue to grow and and understanding there's things I'm missing now that hopefully I'll see later. So we're all, we, you know, that's why I think it's so important to go back to that first question to have a framework that we agree on that we're, um, that are, that's foundational, but you know, when it comes to, to the word of God, it's living and active and it's, there's so much richness, there's so much that we're still like learning too.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, as as we're kind of navigating this this conversation, like we want we want th- there there are legitimate times when somebody's teaching could actually veer to the point that it, it it does obscure the gospel, where where they like they do get the gospel wrong, and so um, we want to we want to be clear in that, we want to address that, uh, but maybe maybe at the same time. It, it, the environment that we're in kind of, and especially when you have all this tribalism going on where it's like, okay, this is my camp. These are my people. I got to defend them. They're on my side. We're on this team. People outside of our camp are in a different tribe. They're on their team. And so, you know, we tend to be more critical of their shortcomings, their weaknesses, their flaws, and really overlook or minimize or uh, maybe even have acceptable sins within our own camp that we're, we're okay with living in. Um, and, and we all kind of have that, whereas I'd say, like, well, really, we, we, we need the full scope of, of the church body to, to kind of be working together. And so I think uh, may, maybe we are too quick to put labels on people where we, we kind of create this division and we kind of uh, maybe we're too quick to say, okay, like, we disagree on secondary things and so we can't, we can't like, break bread bread together. Um, I think that, you know, even in our own church at Waypoint, this is something that we, uh, as we think about theology, theology also has practical applications of, of how we live, live out our lives, how we do church together, um, some of the things that we practice and teach. And, and so we're, we're trying to live in community where we live in this tension, where we, we navigate these things, where we say, we, we really need to get the gospel right. We, need, we really need to get who Jesus is right. Like we, that, that has to be what's first and, and upfront and primary for us, And, you know, if we get if we get first things first, then then we can kind of get second things like the second things will will come together. But if we if we focus on and and prioritize the second things, this is kind of like what C.S. Lewis talks about, then then we lose the first things and and things kind of crumble. So I I think, you know, as as we're kind of processing, navigating this, there are times when we we need to be uh, maybe more clear or or uh, it, it's okay to come out in opposition against to say like, no, this is wrong, or this teaching is wrong, but not, not in a way that's uh, just trying to write somebody off altogether, which is maybe what we're more prone to.
2: Yeah, and I think at Waypoint, um, n- for those of you who joined a long time ago, you for- maybe forgot what our membership class is like, but it, we have something called Next Steps, which is like the second class, and one of the things we talk about is these theological fences that each of us like we have kind of a core teaching that we believe at waypoint but we also acknowledge that everybody's on a journey everybody's on a point on the way like our name says and we have to give people the option to to just live out their faith and struggle with stuff and we don't make people check off you know these are our 100 core beliefs do you check off on all 100 and you got to check back with in with us every six months but like lawrence said earlier and if a couple minutes ago If you find yourself in constant disagreement over and over again, maybe this isn't the best fellowship for you. But generally, either we create a church where you have to check off every box, and then you have to keep going back to the box, which I would say is almost impossible to do. Everyone agrees on all secondary issues all times or you create a space where there can be some tension. These are the general things that we agree upon. This is where we're gonna focus, where we feel like God's called us to be as a local church on these issues that have multiple interpretations. And this is how we wanna move forward. And if you wanna join with us in that, we want you to do that. So, so I think God is providing a way and has always provided a way for his church to be worshiping communities, even in these differences. But sometimes I feel like, like you said, Eric, we want to hone in on the differences, and as soon as we feel a little tension, we either want to discredit the other person, run away from it, but to be the body, I feel like, yeah, we, ha- we, have, to, we have to really create a th- theology of how we're going to deal with this and how we're going to live in, in when, when there is disagreement. And I'm, I'm thankful for Waypoint that we, we've created a space that's been uh, hopefully good for everyone to, to learn how to be the body together.
0: Yeah, and so so as we're you know as we're pressing in here, I, I think that uh, it's also helpful to to think about okay, how like what what is contributing to, uh, and and what is what is formational and how we think, how we do theology, how we how are how we're framing even the, the, the conversations that we're having, um, or the or the way that we're kind of formulating our own working uh, paradigm for how we do theology, and so you have. Uh, you have social media is obviously at play people all these people that you follow the different but then it's also the books you read and the marketing and all, all that stuff that happens and, and I've I've started to notice more and more as as I get older and as I'm as I immerse myself in these spaces where you have all these different resources to to indulge and, and even thinking like why don't we why, why aren't there more like promotion of the classics and like Think, like books that have stood the test of time but that's that's another topic for another day but i, I just noticed how how like helpful terms can become buzzwords and, and even marketing tools and so um so you have things like biblical parenting or biblical manhood and womanhood or, or now it, it, especially the past like 10-15 years the trend is especially seen to be gospel-centered everything or christ-centered everything and so What do you think are some of the effects of labeling ideas in this way? And what happens when when everyone thinks that they have the biblical answer on every given topic?
1: I just feel like it's a bold statement. When you can make it, when you can write a statement that says this is biblical parenting or this is biblical anything, I'm like, wow, you got the answer? Like, you know what the, (laughs) this is God's way. When it comes to parenting, guys, can I tell you, I will never, ever, ever in a million years say the way I parent is anywhere near the biblical way to parent you know other than maybe like i try to love my child that's all i can do you know the way i how many hours he spends on this or how many how much, what he eats for food or the way that i i can i just can't make that boldest statement because i don't think there is that one way for everything you know, i think with the biblical methodology the biblical statement is being led by the spirit mm. and being led by the spirit means it looks different for different people so i always i don't know i was one of my pet peeves when i see kind of Stuff like that. Sometimes I'm like, "Oh wow, you, you you got it, huh?"
0: I mean, I think the desire is good, right? The like, desire like, is like, great. Like,
1: like even the, the one who's
0: trying to in, like take in that information, it's like, "I want my parenting to be biblical." I want I want to be thinking biblically on like any any topic because I, I want to be faithful to what God's word says. Yeah, and so absolutely. Even, um, but then you just you kind of buy into this whole package, and that like it's this whole package. Yeah.
3: I think yeah. I think it's really problematic. I mean, and again, it might come from. A good place but I think using the term biblical or gospel-centered because I feel like it first of all it ends conversations because it's like a, like you were saying okay well I guess that's the biblical model number two if you disagree with what maybe someone's opinion is that they're calling gospel centered or biblical then sometimes mm-hmm. you think it could lead to like well maybe I disagree with Christianity when that's unnecessary because it's something added and I think that um yeah, I just think that it's not a helpful label too. Like I think especially even, yeah, gospel centered. What parenting, what is what does that mean? It's it's kind of a confusing term. Also the principles that you apply in parenting, like you said, like loving your kid, disciplining them praying, exist within your particular culture. Like what Biblical parenting look like in the Old Testament is different than what biblical parenting looked like in the New Testament, depending on different cultures that people lived in as well. So, yeah,
2: I remember when Maggie was a baby, and I don't know, someone told me about this biblical parenting book, and it was basically like, put your kid in their own room and let them cry all night. And like, that was biblical parenting. And I was like, I bet you Jesus probably didn't sleep. In a different room because he grew up poor and they they probably in their house they didn't have lots of room so that can't be biblical parenting yeah for him and all his siblings so i said those are good practical ideas that maybe work if you live in the suburbs and you have three bedrooms and you want some sleep those are great ideas but to link them to biblical and to say everyone who doesn't do that is kind of not biblical is very dangerous my professor used to say in seminary that if it's not true for all christians everywhere for all time like then you can't call it biblical if it like if if it just works in the suburbs of america if a poor if a christian in jail right now in north korea can't also do that same thing then it can't be biblical it's just a good idea based on some biblical principles and and that you can use in your present context but and then I, most of these biblical books, that, I'm going back to the biblical. This is like 80s, 90s, 1000s.
0: Yeah, I really touched a nerve here. I didn't yeah, realize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think <laughs> I think a lot of them use
2: Proverbs as their main example. And again, Proverbs are not promises of God. They are just wisdom that Solomon and these other guys came up with. It's true. So it's okay to help the church and be the church, and Proverbs exists in the Bible. It's part of our canon, but it's not... It, it doesn't trump Ecclesiastes or Job because they're written all together and it doesn't trump the other promises. So for me, but but even the term gospel, like the gospel is the good news for for the world. So like to link gospel sometimes just gets a little dangerous because you're, you're saying like other Christians, sometimes when people are saying gospel, they mean like our version of theology. Like would it be better in my opinion to just link it to your version of theology, call it reformed or call it Methodist or call it, whatever because american or <laughs> just mm. just could say these are some things that have helped me process so sometimes i i always heart lawrence is like danny when you need to write the book or like i i really feel like people's personalities their cultural experiences and their 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 personality their the culture they grew up in and they're just the experiences they have affect our theology a ton when we come to the bible we read it through that lens and we think that when people disagree with our interpretation then we get upset. We get frustrated. So we want to kind of defend it, defend it so that to make us feel better. But in, in essence, we're really causing the body to not be able to be the true body. So we can figure out a way to live this out together. But I I, I just want to challenge you guys out there that, yeah, like, like it's okay to formulate opinions and say for our family, this is a great fit. But to also recognize that some other people may not choose to raise their kids in that way
0: or to think about it in that way, and that's okay. Yeah, and so maybe you'd even say so. Just trying to pull out a little bit that like some of these ideas can be biblically based, yep. or like they can be maybe wise or prudent, but they're not necessarily. I, I, I like how you phrase that of if it's not if it's not like if it's not a timeless truth, then it, is it is it truly biblical?
1: And that's what's so incredible about the Bible that it is full of timeless truths for all Christians of all ages. You know, it's true that the Spirit resides in us as we profess Christ. You know, it's, it's true that Spirit is our counsel. That's true for all Christians.
0: And this is why doing the work of theology is important. Is because right. we, we're trying to we're trying to go into that. We're trying to tap into that, and then like think of, think through how we can apply it to our our day and our time.
1: But the thing that I love, the, the thing that's so. Um, kind of that we struggle with so often is that we try to create our interpretation as being the only interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so, I just the thing that I love about the Bible is that it's, it's it's it is open. Some people hate the fact that the Bible is so nuanced, and the, the Bible is open to more interpretation. They wish it was more clear. And that's what I love about the Bible that it's not that clear because it is applicable to all cultures, all generations, all times. And it allows the spirit to do the leading and guiding as we interpret the scripture. Well, my professors always used to say there's no true exegesis without eisegesis. And the reality is we, we take... I like the letter I. Yeah. yeah.
3: So explain what you yeah, think yeah. he means. Uh, exegesis
1: is just kind of the art of um, interpretation of what you get out of the text. And so some people want to say, oh, I just, I'm just i all about true, just pure exegesis. What, this is what the text says. But my professor would basically say, eisegesis is what you put into the text. All your culture, your... Your experience is everything, and so he's what he's saying is that honestly, you can't really truly just read and glean out of the text without yourself putting something into the text.
0: Yeah, when when Jesus starts to sound more like you than Jesus, (laughs) then maybe you have missed it.
1: Right, Jesus sounds more like you know uh, average American male, you know whatever whatever your culture,
2: your personality, and your experiences are. Exactly. Say
0: like the German German theologians in the 20th century as they're talking about the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus ended up sounding a lot like a, like a white German 20th century man.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And, and I think as, as
2: I've processed this, almost every person who kind of pushes back with me, they go to John 14 to 17, and they say, Jesus says the Spirit will guide you into all truth. And that whole section, every time it's you, the word the you there, it's a plural you. It should be Jesus will guide you all. In all truth, and he's talking to them. But I, almost every American Christian, including myself, thinks I just come to the Bible, and I'm going to get the Spirit's going to tell me exactly what I need. Well, that's I said, Jesus. That's the even the that's saying like i It's going to I'm going to interpret it my way. But really, when Jesus says the Spirit will guide y'all into all truth, he's saying you, as the body of Christ, are going to flesh this out you're going to have, I didn't give you a ton of teaching. Actually, Jesus never told anybody to ever write anything down. Think about that. Jesus only walked around a tiny geographic area for three years and was arrested and then executed and never told anybody to write anything down. They chose to write the stuff down after him. And he said, the spirit will give you all you need, y'all. And I think sometimes as American Christians, we forget that. And I th- that's why the creeds are beautiful, because the church came together and gave us the doctrine of the Trinity, looked at the, the deity of Christ and, and gave us the, the doctrines of Christ, the doctrines of the church so that we could come together. Now, there are disagreements and there were disagreements in Corinthians and in Ephesians and these, these letters. So, so we have this, but it's the spirit guiding y'all into all truth with individuals coming to the scripture and then coming together as a group is I, I feel like that's where this beautiful work is going to happen. And that's why the local church is God's plan so that we can be his body in in community and like fleshing this out.
3: And I think maybe why that's at a nerve um, too is because we've seen people who've been hurt by Maybe, especially even trends in the Christian church that get mm-hmm. labeled as biblical, like, oh, if I don't have a date night once a week with my husband, then my marriage isn't biblical. Or, you know, <laughs> if I, uh, you know.
1: If I don't kiss dating goodbye. no, If
3: I don't kiss dating goodbye, I'm not, you know, biblical. biblical. Qu- right, right, exactly. If I don't, you know, spank my children, if I don't, whatever it happens to be, am and so I think that there's been this unnecessary burden. But now that said, I hope Christians keep writing books and having podcasts and giving talks and conferences because I think it's good to learn from one another. But I think we need to pray for discernment to parse out what's um, what's the Spirit speaking to us through the Word of God and what is... A, what are the principles underneath? And some methods will work for certain families, some don't. Homeschooling works for some families. Public school works for some families. Christian school works for some families. You know. And
1: that's where I think humility comes into play. You know, just acknowledging that you don't have all the answers, and your answers might not be true for everybody at all times. Are you humble enough to say, my interpretation is this, but I'd love to hear the way you do things. I'd love to learn from you, and know that we can all learn from each other.
0: Yeah, so so Erica, and what what you're saying is kind of hit on two different two different things that I want to I want to talk about that uh, kind of like debate. In which way do I go with it, Lawrence? Kind of Lawrence kind of pushed the meter in the, in that the one direction, so we're gonna go there. But I do want to just touch on the fact that like I do want to tease out this idea of okay, you and Danny, Erica and Danny have both mentioned that okay, like we at some point we've kind of teased out how. Like, this works for, in this context or this place, but other people, maybe, maybe and, and so, like, even thinking about how, how did you get there, other people, maybe based on personality or just, they might react to some of these things and say, okay, like, I, I'm failing to do this, and I just feel this guilt, and I don't know how, like, I'm failing at being a Christian parent, a Christian uh, father or mother or, or a Christian wife or husband or, you know, any Christian worker, all these things. And so, um, but before we before we go there, I, I want us to go back to kind of where Lawrence is leading us, which is, what, what are some of the ways that you've learned to cultivate humility when engaging with people you disagree with?
3: Prayer, 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 like praying for that person, praying for my heart. I think... Um, there's two emotions I can encounter when I know I'm dealing with people that I disagree with. One, of course, is pride. You know, well, how can you see it that way? You know, and wanting to prove them right. Another is fear, the like fear of conflict, fear of losing that relationship, or maybe fear. I think some, sometimes people don't want to explore different authors, or different people's opinions, or different Christian traditions because they're scared. Like, what if I get influenced the wrong way? And I think some of that comes from a really good place, like if, if God is real, if He gave us His Word, if the Spirit isn't, we don't want to get this wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you yeah. said, we want to, you know, honor Him and our families and our lives. But I think that that sometimes that's misplaced fear, that we can, we can enter into a relationship willing to learn and trusting that, you know, that God will protect and, and guide us and might even change our opinions on some things, you know. You
1: know, Erica, I loved how you talked about this fear of hearing even other people's voices. I think that's one way to, to cultivate humility is um, start listening and being willing to listen to other voices that are different from yours. You know, that starts expanding your highest and one. But also you start realizing, wait a minute, I might not have all the answers all the time. My my way might not be the only way to look at things. I think it should lead to a humility, you know. Thinking, and I hate to say this, but if you I mean, if you think you're the smartest person in the room every time, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you think you're smarter than every writer theologian out there, we have a problem. That we need to re, like pray and God, like, okay, God can start revealing to your heart. But if you, we need to start to acknowledge that we just don't have all the answers. And there are intelligent people that can come on every side of our, an argument and try to walk in that. you know, Humility, I think, is one of those beautiful byproducts of when you're truly walking with the Spirit as He's sanctifying you. Humility, I think, is one of the beautiful natural byproducts of it. Hmm. You know, So really letting the Spirit sanctify your heart.
2: Yeah, and I, I think for me, humility literally fleshes itself out where me saying to the other person, okay, I'm just going to listen and tell me why you think this is a primary biblical issue. Like I'm I'm counting this as a secondary issue and you're or vice versa. I think this is primary. I think it's particularly like about human sexuality or some other things. I've I've had some some dialogue with some Christians who say no, this is a secondary issue and I'm like, no, I th- I think this is a primary issue. I think it starts in Genesis 1 and 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 but I want to hear them out. I want to hear their like, I'm quick to give my opinion. I'm a five. I'm a teacher at heart. I, I just Enneagram five for those of you out there who are into that thing. I don't I don't know. I, I So I have to, for me, humility means asking them, why do you believe what you believe? And I was in a dialogue just the other day about tent making with someone who's talking about overseas. And I was like, they told me their stance. And I said, go back and actually read every passage about the one pe- part in our Acts where it talks about tent making, because I I think your theology is a little more than what the passage says itself, and it was beautiful. I hope that they took it well, and I took, I learned from them, but I, I tended to think that they were creating, adding more to the theology than probably was what Paul actually did, but it was a good dialogue, but I had to listen to this person's whole side of the story before I, now, I probably have studied this more than them. I'm always, you know, 15, 20 years older than this person. So even though I probably knew more than this person, I needed to come to it and, and hear. And I, I actually gleaned a lot from that conversation and learned about zeal and passion that some people have for missions and and why they think tent making and this passage or that passage is essential. So that conversation probably blessed me more than it blessed the other person, but if I wouldn't have listened, it would have just been me imparting some wisdom. And I I don't think God could have used it in either of our lives. So I'm thankful that the Spirit allowed me to be humble in that moment and listen, even though I was probably the one with a little bit more experience than the person I was talking to.
3: I think it's really, really important to, to understand how limited our experiences are. Like sometimes I can think, oh, I've lived in another country. I've met a lot of Christians, but then when I think about it, um, a lot of the other Christians I know have read all the same books I have, and we're at the same conferences, and listened to the same music, you know, and realizing that I'm just seeing a a slice of Christianity, Mm. but there's so much more to the body of Christ, and so much more I can learn from.
1: That's so good. I love that you said that, Erica, because mm-hmm. me and Erica were just actually comparing notes <laughs> earlier today, and we both kind of like experienced a lot of the similar kind <laughs> of waves of Christianness. I'm like, oh, that's just, I thought that was my path. She's like, no, that's my path. Oh, that was a lot of people's path in Christianity. <laughs> was that the crazy love period, yeah. or the, the radical exactly. period, or the was, purpose was, driven, driven life John period? period, or Rick or the, Warren period.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I would just add two things. Uh, one one is something that I just saw. So I was watching a YouTube video yesterday, which is this channel. With uh, with Preston Perry, who is the husband of Jackie Hill Perry, where he has a channel where he does uh, essentially street evangelism, where he's like doing apologetics, engaging with other other faith backgrounds, other religions. And one of the things that he talks about is like, I I really want, as I engage in these conversations, I really want uh, people to feel me affirming their human dignity. And so I think as we as we relate, as we engage with people, that we should we should be trying to do that. We should see them as. Uh, an, an image bearer, someone who's been created in, in God's image. Who, uh, so as we think about, you know, even our our pride and, and how we relate to one another. I think being able to say, okay, here's the framework that I'm starting from. We we are both made in the image of God, and whether or not we agree on things, we like. Uh, let's let's start. Let's have that as our starting point as we as we engage. And then, um, so in terms of superiority, you know, hierarchy, all that stuff, like. No, we are both we, we both have the same starting point, but then the other thing would be uh, just realizing, and, and I think this is I, I intend this to be more of a pushback on on really the, our cultural moment right now, where we'd say if I if I engage in this, if I associate with this, then it's a, it's a full endorsement of the entire package, and so I think that and and so then we label certain people or certain groups as dangerous, and we say we need to avoid them. Uh, we don't want to be influenced by them. And and, and again, this goes back into, sure, there, there could be some some very uh, legitimate concerns there, but I think uh, even having this posture of, I in in the kingdom of God, I can learn from anyone, and I can benefit from, from anyone. So you, you see these guys who maybe are labeled even historically as more liberal theologians, but you see uh, other books where they're quoted, and it's like, wow, that's a really compelling, I think that's a really... Uh, I think that is a biblical idea that they're drawing out from. That, it is, that is timeless for, for all Christians that, like, I can benefit from, from reading and discerning and, and thinking through that and weighing it. And so I think having that, that posture, that mentality, then to say, I can disagree with them. Like, me saying I agree with this, this idea doesn't mean that I agree with their entire uh, thesis or theology or, or all of it. It's just saying I agree with this idea, and we can, we can be united on, on that front. And thinking about how how can we be united? How can we care about unity in Christ in the Spirit?
1: And based on that idea, which I love, is this idea that um, I would love for us as people to be more kind of wide ranging in what we read and what we partake. You know, I think we we sometimes as Christians create like to create a subculture, and I get why we want to protect ourselves, protect, create a cocoon, and but. I think some of the most beautiful things that can happen for us is as we expand our horizons, see the dignity and see the image bearers of God and really see that all knowledge glorifies God. All true knowledge glorifies God. And it's from Him and it's about Him. And so really see um, and just appreciate the breadth of the world's knowledge out there.
2: And then I want to push back a little because Paul says the wisdom of this world is foolishness. So some people might even say, so how do we live in a world that, like, even the, pa- the passages we read this Sunday in, in uh, Revelation where it says, like, what is it, the throne of Satan, the kingdom of mm-hmm. Satan. Yeah. So Satan is the prince of this world. He is influencing people. But this is also God's world. Jesus is on the throne. God created all wisdom and all knowledge. Sure. Uh, Paul seemed to figure out the balance. You know, Jesus, of course, figured out the balance. Uh, how how do we live in this world? Uh, that's it's it's complicated. Like how do how do we get out there? Like do I only read Christian stuff? Do I only read like what do you do, Lawrence? Like how do you process all this?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because out, if I would counsel, depending on how they would where they were at, you know, if if I had a young believer who is 14 years old, you know, I'm not gonna give that same person like hey read the same book that I would give Eric to read. It's just different. Eric's in a different place, different level of study, different level of understanding and responsibility of what he does with knowledge. So it really based on where you're at and what's going on in your life and how much information and knowledge you're experiencing. But with me personally, um, I think how established are you in in the foundational truth and fundamental truth of who God is? You know, are you firmly established? And then the, the additional knowledge that you get from people who think differently um, kind of can build upon it rather than tear it down. Does that make sense at all? It's, it's, it's a hard line to kind of really explain, but that's kind of how I operate when I, when I think about it for other people.
3: I think for me, too, in different seasons of my life, it's different. Sometimes, like, I'm at a place where I feel um, very secure in my faith, very connected to the Lord, and I can, like, explore different things or... Um, and other times where I just want to just read the word, you know, and not any additional study. Right. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's good to hear you guys. I'm an information guy, so I'm always processing. I'm always trying to read different things. I do spend some time, you know, on campus and among a lot. I spend a good amount of my time with non-believers, helping them. Like, so I need I need to know what's going on in the world. I do love the lists. We read one or. We read one this week in Explore Waypoint, but just the Romans 12 list, but there's three different lists in the New Testament, or four different lists where it talks about different parts of the body, and teacher is one of them. So I do think some people are called to investigate a little more. Right. God has given some people in the church some time and energy and to, to investigate a little more so that they can teach. Now, some of you might be called to teach, but right now the season of life maybe you have young kids or you're taking care of a parent or they or you're just really busy with work you may not be able to exercise that gift as much but there are some of us who are going to do a little more reading a little more research a little more di- dig a little deeper and we need to as the body to ask those people hey what's a good book i can read i heard right now everyone's talking about critical race theory or this or that like help me process this god has obviously given you the gift of of sifting through twitter and not me, and then ask that person to help you process. But don't let that, pardon, book, recommendation. book recommendations, yeah. you know, like, like if I'll it's go to
1: Erica for book recommendations. Yeah,
2: because some of us, God's given different people different gifts, and but don't just ask one person. Mm-hmm. Ask three or four people who are sifting through the Twitterverse, or who read a lot, or who are processing this. I mean, obviously, when it comes to refugees, Joy is a tremendous resource because she meets with refugees every day. Don't get all your refugee information from CNN or Fox News when you can ask Joy. Hey, Joy, what's it like right now? Come this Saturday. Well, no, actually, you would have to come last Saturday because this is recorded afterward. <laughs> but come and ask us. Uh, ask us. Like, we have people at Waypoint who are who do a lot of things. We have people who medical researchers. We have people. You may disagree with some of their stuff, but that's okay. Like, we have the body. So for me, I'm like, let's utilize the body. Let's utilize the different gifts that people have. And let's, in meekness, be able to go to other people and say, hey, I think I know a lot about this, but what, what do you think about this? You, you're at UNC every day studying this. You know, what do you think? You're at Duke every day studying this. You're, you're at work with these people. I'm making opinions about these people. I'm making speculations about these people. But you actually are with these folks. Tell me how I can love them better.
1: So That's good. Hearing different thoughts and learning from other people is such a big part of walking in humility. And walking in that humility also, um, like being allowing our people to ask questions and being okay mm-hmm. with asking questions and not knowing everything. That's part of humility, that's, that's a good place to be at. I think one of the dangers that occurs is that we teach our kids, this is it, this is it, this is it, and they grow up thinking this is it, this is it, this is it, and all of a sudden they don't ask questions, they don't talk to other people, and then they go off to college and they're like, oh, this, this, isn't this, isn't this isn't it, it. this there's isn't it, there's more to it. Than it than what, than it. huh, I'm so confused, what do I do with this? Yeah. And so I love walking in humility, always being like, let's ask questions.
0: Yeah, so I think I think that's a really really compelling thing that that kind of lends us into this next conversation. But I think I think at this point we've given our listeners enough to really chew on for for this episode, and so I think we should kind of land the plane here. So. so uh Next, we we wanted to, we were going to go into this conversation. where we really talk more about deconstruction and deconstruction of faith and, and what that means, and, uh, and and kind of exploring even like how do how do you process that? How do you process when uh, maybe something that as we were talking about earlier, maybe something that is actually non-essential you've you've treated as essential, and you're you're starting to process. Well, was I was I right about that? How maybe I'm maybe I'm not. And 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 so uh, how do we how do we walk in that? How do I how do I like come out of that? Actually. Having stronger faith and being closer to Jesus. And so that's something that I think we want to talk about in, in a future episode, maybe our next episode. I don't know how the order will work, but uh, at this point, any, any last words? So
2: Eric handed this out during his sermon. We're handing this,
0: this handout
2: out during every uh, next steps, basically as you join Waypoint Church. There are 59 love or 100 love one another commands in the New Testament and 59 specific ones and we want to be a people who love one another, and part of that is is us living in this tension that God's called us to live. So, so if you haven't got the handout, Eric, just email Eric at WaypointRDU. He'll he'll send you the PDF and just really study these love one another passages. For me, this is where it starts. I've got to learn to love you guys, and we're going to mutually be the body of Christ together. So that's that's my challenge. Is when you're dealing with how do we deal with disagreements? I think the love one another passages are god is beginning to show me are the best place to start
3: i think that um it would definitely be easier when you became a christian if like all of the knowledge of all things <laughs> was just imparted to you instantly but for um and that didn't happen for you no. it happened for me <laughs> good thing i live with you um but uh no i'm
0: the arbiter of all knowledge so, i've actually uh, heard people say that surprisingly.
3: <laughs> So um but I think that God in his in his sovereign goodness has like set us on a, an adventure and a journey to to learn truth and and it can be scary but he's given us his spirit as a guide so I think it's exciting to know that and to know that we're in this together
1: you know when it comes to living out this kind of walk together, I think humility has just always been the answer hmm. you know humility' is the answer when when we can say, that I don't know all the answers to everything. I don't know how to, I don't know how to exactly process every interpretation in the Bible. I don't know. Um, can we learn from you? Can we learn from each other? Can we figure it out together? You know, that's just, gosh. The more and more I, I think I study, the more, and more I'm, longer I've been walking with the Lord. I think humility, is the kind of attribute that I see fleshed out so much in Jesus. You know, and um, that's actually one of the attributes that I see if I look at the saints who really been walking with the Lord the longest. You just fall deeper in love with Jesus as they get older and older. That's the attribute I see fleshed out in them. It's not like they're clinging to the
2: doctrine, but it's it's like they're clinging to Christ and his humility.
1: And if we can just grow every day in our humility more than our, our, our... certainty that we can interpret scripture correctly or our certainty that this is the right way or he, if we grow more in our humility every day, I think we would look more like Jesus. Hmm. And so that if we can just, this is a plea to my own heart. I'm asking the spirit to help me in this. I'm asking the, church, the spirit to help our church and guide our church in this. Can we just walk in more humility hmm. like Christ?
0: Yeah, that's a powerful word from from each one of you. And and I appreciate you. I, re- I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm looking forward to you. Uh, to the next one, but until then, everyone have a great week. All
2: right, bye bye. Have a great week. Turn around. <laughs> I thought you were gonna sing "We're All in This Together" from High School Musical when Erica said "We're All in This Together." All right, that's that,
0: that supposed to be done. They we're done. We're done. I
2: love
1: you guys.